So we begin our reading in Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. When they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothrakia the next day to Neapolis, from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of the, that part of Macedonia, and a colony. We were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. We sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither, and a certain woman, woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. It came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation." And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her the same hour. A number of years ago, I received a letter from some church friends. It was rolled up. In fact, I'm carrying it today. It was rolled up in a bottle and sent to me from Hawaii. I pulled out the cork of the bottle and opened up this letter and it said, Aloha have become burdened for island ministry. Nucleus in place to begin a church in the South Pacific. Have deacons, secretary, nursery coordinator, discipleship leader, usher, greeter, and special music. Send a preacher and lots of money, plus weekly support. Bring offering plates and ship us a van. Got to go late for our luau, Hawaiian Survey Committee. P.S. We'll send for our kids. I don't think they were seriously looking for God's will when they sent that note. But if you're serious about looking for God's will, and I trust you are, you'll find that the passage to which we've turned this morning is of great help. A significant Christian leader of the last century said, to find God's will is life's greatest discovery. To know God's will is life's greatest knowledge. To do God's will, that's life's greatest accomplishment. I completely agree. Real success is only found when we know and we do God's will. Today, I want us to consider God's will under two headings. I want us to talk very quickly about God's general will for all of us and for all humanity. Then I want to go beyond that and have us consider together God's specific will for our lives individually. There are people who will ask and even debate the question, can a person actually know God's will? There are those who say, not really. After all, God has created us and given to us His moral will as revealed in God's Word. And if we make our decisions according to that moral will, God is pleased and God doesn't have a specific will for our lives. I totally disagree with that assumption. In fact, in the book of James chapter 4, James says, Go to now, you rich men. 
You that will say, we'll go here, we'll go there, we'll abide for a year, we'll buy and sell and make gain. When you ought to say, if the Lord will, we'll go here and do this or do that. When it comes to buying and selling and living, abiding for periods of time and then moving, all those things have to do with something far more than God's general will. They have to do with God's specific will. So in James chapter 4, James is saying, you ought to be asking and inquiring regularly, what's God's specific will for me? What does God want me to do with my life so that I can please Him? And at the end of life, hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. My father-in-law was a master carpenter. He lived in the twin cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. He was a cabinet maker. Later in life, as his back wore out a little bit, he ended up putting in ceiling tiles In fact, the last several years of his life, he put ceiling tiles in in the Mall of America, America's largest mall complex. Everywhere I went with my father-in-law, he would say, hey, I I worked on that house. I put the kitchen in there. Hey, I I worked on that building. I put the ceiling in there. Hey, I, I did some work in that place. I put the doors in there. He knew all the places, it seemed, around town where for over 40 years he'd worked and done custom carpentry work. Why did he know those things? Because he was an artisan. He worked with his hands. He was interested in what he had accomplished. He wanted to go back and see it over the years. You realize, of course, that the God that we serve created each of us individually, uniquely. And just as an artisan would want to go back and inquire of the state of affairs of that which he has built, even so, our God who creates us, who made us in his image, who knows the very hairs on our head, who understands our uprisings and our down-sittings. He has a perfect and specific will for your life and for mine. But before we look at that, let's look at God's general will. Do you know that you can state God's general will for all of us according to the revelation of God's word in four ways? The general will of God for all is that all people would be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Ezekiel 33 and verse 11 says, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now, there are those who even debate this matter. There are those who seem to assume that God created some for perdition and others for salvation, and that God receives glory in all these things. And while God certainly receives glory in all things, He spells out for us and states for us specifically, it's not His will that any should perish. And so we can assume that it's God's will that all would be saved. Isn't that wonderful? It's God's will for your friend at work to be saved. It's God's will for you if you haven't come to Christ as Savior to be saved. It's God's will for your family members for whom you are praying that they would be saved. My wife trusted Christ as Savior in 1974. She was invited to a summer camp. She was a ninth grader growing up in a home where the Bible wasn't opened and her family didn't know Jesus Christ. Someone invited her to camp this way. They said, come to camp with us. We'll have a lot of fun. We'll swim and there are all kinds of activities. They'll preach. You don't have to listen to that. (laughs) I'm glad she listened. Between ninth and tenth grade, she trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And she came home with a tremendous burden for her family members to trust Jesus Christ. In 1991, by God's grace, her mother and father, after my wife had prayed for them for so many years, trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. In 2013, her brother trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. 
for whom she'd prayed for all those years from 1974 to 2013. She's prayed the prayer every day. Lord, it's not your will that any should perish. And she still has two brothers for whom she's praying, and I hope you'll pray for them as well. We need to know that it's God's will that all of us be saved. And that it's God's general will for all of us that we all be sanctified. First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians rather, chapter 4 and verse 3 says, This is the will of God for you, even your sanctification. There it is clearly stated. God's will is that you be sanctified. A number of years ago, I was talking to a young couple who were attending our church and they were living together. And as I talked to them about the potential of their future marriage, I said, now you understand that you need to move out. You shouldn't be living together. That's a a wrong thing for you to be doing. And the man stopped me as I spoke and he said, wait a minute, pastor, we've prayed about that. We believe God wants us to stay together until we get married. Well, I was able to explain to them, no, that's not God's will for you. God's will for you is that you be sanctified. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, H-O-L-Y, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, can you finish it with me, and perfect what? Will of God. God's will for you is that you be sanctified, that you... Maintain your body a fit vessel for the master's use. God's general will for all of us is that we be satisfied. Saved, sanctified, satisfied. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know that contentment is the opposite of covetousness. Contentment is realizing that God has provided everything I need for my present happiness. I was visiting in a home of a man years ago, so many years ago that we didn't have cell phones. Young people, before there were cell phones, it's hard to believe, phones were plugged into walls. And they even made furniture to place your phone on so you knew where it was in your home. And this man had a piece of furniture with his phone on it, a telephone book. I know this is way before your time. But there was a telephone book underneath of that phone. And beside that phone, there was a little plaque that I've never forgotten. That man who was a hard worker and very, very wealthy, who was living in a 150-year-old farmhouse, had next to that phone a little placard that said, contentment is being happy with what I have. That's a good statement. God has given to us all things richly to enjoy, and we're to be content with such things as we have. For he has said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. God's general will for all of us, that we be saved, that we be sanctified, that we be satisfied, and that we be serving. That we be serving. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6, the Bible says, doing the will of God from the heart. Do you have a place where you're serving the Savior? We sing the song, there's joy in serving Jesus. There is. And outside of that place, there is no joy. God wants us to find our satisfaction in serving. Now, that's God's general will. But remember, I said, I believe that God has a specific will for you and for me. And how do we discover that? Well, we've opened our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. And I want us to look at how to find God's specific will in our lives as we follow along with the Apostle Paul and the missionaries who were sent out on a second missionary journey. In Acts chapter 15, we read in verse 
41, that they went through Syria and Cilicia. They confirmed the churches where they had shared the gospel. Then we read in verse 5 of chapter 16, and so were the churches established in the faith, and they were increasing in number daily. Now the servants of God are asking the question, now what? Lord, where would you have us to go? These churches have been established. They're serving the Lord. People are being saved. We've seen your hand upon us. Where now? Where would you have us to go? Last week, I had the honor and privilege of preaching the funeral for the founding pastor of the church that I pastor today, Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Our founding pastor, Dr. Wendell Heller, came to the northeast side of Indianapolis, Indiana, back in 1957, 65 years ago. 65 years ago, when he came to Indianapolis, he left a church that he was pastoring down in Georgia with a burden to come to his home state. Seeing the growth of Indianapolis, he believed that God would have him plant a church in that area. So he went looking around to find a place where he could start a church. He found an old, beat-up, dilapidated, white clapboard chapel building next to a graveyard on Union Chapel Road. He looked around that building. He had to circle way roundabout to get back to where that building was located. And he found a window that was ajar, and he opened the window, and he crawled through. When he crawled through into the room, there were pews there, all filled with dust. There were even some hymn books there, and it was an old, out-of-shape piano. And he looked around and thought, perfect. I can start a church here. He brought his wife to that place and showed her where it was, and she cried. She said, Wendell, how can we start a church here? Nobody's going to be able to find this place. Look at it. He inquired of the cemetery board who owned the building, and they said, sure, you can, you can start your church in that building, but you have to make a commitment with us that you'll tear that building down. It's dilapidated. It ought to be condemned, but you've got to tear it down within a year and build something else there. They moved in, and a few months later, they tore the building down, and for the first winter when they had church, they met in a tent. Brother Heller was pastor there 31 years before Pastor Taylor came, and after Pastor Taylor came, I came. I've been the third pastor of Colonial Hills Baptist Church in 65 years. Pastor Heller's funeral happened just last Friday. At his, at his funeral, we had the privilege of telling that story again, how God led Pastor Heller to that place, and how God confirmed his work in his life day by day over all those years and continues to confirm that work today. And it was ever so fitting that Pastor Heller was buried right next to the place where that old building used to stand in that same cemetery on Union Chapel Road. How can I know the specific will of God in my life? Well, as I look in this passage, I find an example. In fact, I find seven ways these that are traveling in this missionary journey show to us an example of how it is that we can find God's will. First, the first step I find these folks making is They're being surrendered when God closes doors. So let me offer to you step number one, if you would know God's specific will for your life, be surrendered when God closes doors. I read in verse 6, And when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Then verse 7 says, And they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of God suffered them not. He did not allow them, not to Asia, not east over to Bithynia, No, the Spirit of God is closing doors and closing doors. And we ask, what did God do to close the door? How how did Paul and how did the apostolic band know that the door was being closed? We don't know for certain, but we know this. The area where they were, where they were praying, was a place that was filled with malaria. Could be that God sent them the sickness of malaria 
and uh, close the door. We know in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 13 that the Apostle Paul talks about a specific affliction that he had in his flesh. We don't really know. Perhaps it was something of the culture. Perhaps there were other circumstances. But the point is God was closing the door and these individuals in following God's will did not kick the door open. You know, the Bible is, not the Bible, but rather history is filled with testimonies of individuals who came face to face with walls where there were no doors. They didn't kick the wall, the door, or the window open. For instance, David Livingston, along the pathway of his life, wanted to go to China. But you know, if you study the life of Livingston, that God sent him to Africa. Adoniram Judson had a burden to go and reach India for Christ. But the British East India Company had a different plan for him and kicked him out of India. He wasn't allowed to stay there, and he landed in Burma. And you know, today, 200 years later, I'm glad he landed in Burma. You know why? I've been to Burma or Myanmar. I've been there three times. Today, across the street from our church in the place where Pastor Heller first cracked open that window, there are over 100 Burmese people who meet every Sunday for their church service. The Gospel Baptist Church is a Burmese Baptist church that we've helped in starting. There are many Burmese people in Indianapolis. And you know what Bible they carry when they come to church? They carry the actual Bible that Adoniram Judson translated all those many years ago. He wanted to go to India, but God said, no, you're going to go and you're going to go to Burma. You know, when a, when a butterfly spins its cocoon, if you want to kill the butterfly or the caterpillar that's inside, if you want to keep it from becoming a butterfly, all you need to do is break open the chrysalis, right? There are some people who are not sensitive to when God is, is closing doors. Sometimes they think, well, I need to persevere and I need to push forward. But in reality, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. I find that these folks are an example of sensitivity. They are not opening doors that God has closed. It may be that God's closed a door in a relationship that you enjoy. And you've been really hurt about that. You've been frustrated. It may be that God's closed the door of an opportunity that you thought you'd enjoy. And you've been hurt about that. God had a different direction. When I got done with college, I thought, I'm going to go back and serve with my father in West Virginia and be his assistant pastor. In fact, he and I talked about it. And my mother talked too. You know what she said? That wouldn't be a very good idea. <laughs> and I think that the, the Lord was working in my father as well as he listened to the counsel of my mother. I, I got to tell you, I was a little bit disappointed. But I didn't kick open any door. I continued on where God would have me. And I had the privilege for four wonderful years of being mentored by Dr. Ben Strobain as a youth pastor in Owatonna, Minnesota. And I wouldn't give anything for those years. God had a different direction, even in the midst of my disappointment. Be surrendered when God closes doors. Step number two along this pathway is be sensitive to the concerns of others. Look at verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Not the voice of an angel, not the finger of God, not the voice of God, no. It was the voice of a man. It was a person that God used to indicate the direction that this missionary company should go. God would use the voice of a man, the image of a man, in a night dream to get Peter to go to the Gentiles in Caesarea by the sea. Remember, there was a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius who needed help. Here in Acts chapter 16, Paul is listening to the Spirit of God and a voice of a man comes to him in the night. And it's a Macedonian. 
Now, the Macedonians were Greeks. They were the people in the culture who seemed to have it all. They were the artists. They were the poets. They were the philosophers. But they had a great spiritual need. It seems more and more that we are finding people in ministry who seem to choose the field based on their heritage or their background. It's been interesting to watch this develop over the years. I grew up in a pastor's home. My junior year in high school, my father sensed an insurrection in the church that he was pastoring that caused him to realize that if he stayed there, he'd likely see the church split. I remember my junior year in high school, my father took a vote of confidence among the church family. I think about 83% of the church family said, you ought to stay. We got in the car on the way home, and I said, Dad, that's a great vote. 83% of the people want you to stay here. And my dad said, yeah, but the 17% that don't are really locked in. And he said, I think the Lord wants us to leave. I said something like this, Dad, I'm getting through high school on 83%. You know, that's, that's a good grade. Come on, Dad. Remember, I was, I was a junior in high school. My sister was a senior in high school. It was September. My dad tendered his resignation without any place to go. October came and went. November came and went. He quit serving the church the 1st of November, December, January, February, March. And every week we saw the Lord provide for our family. I can look back and remember the two gifts that were given to me during Christmas of my junior year in high school. I got a Timex watch and I got a Schofield reference Bible. You know why I remember that? Only gifts I can remember from my childhood because there was no salary coming into our home during those weeks. God was providing. My father was sensitive to what God was doing. He was sensitive to the voices that said no, and then by God's grace, a door opened, and we moved to West Virginia, thank the Lord, in April of my junior in high school. Now, there aren't many pastors who will resign from a church when their, their children are juniors and seniors in high school. In fact, today, you'll find pastors who say, well, if the Lord will send me to my home area, you know, I'm from the southeast, I need to stay in the southeast. I'm so thankful that when the Lord has called me to different places, I've been able to say to my family, I don't care if it's east, west, north, south, big, small, hard, or easy. If God calls, we're going, because Revelation chapter 3 says He knows how to open doors. But this is what I've discovered. I discovered that open doors are places where people are praying, where the voice of God is being expressed to the people there, not about my needs, not about what I want, but how I can be a help and a blessing to those who are calling out to the Lord for a shepherd to come. You'll find along the way that when you're sensitive to the needs of others, God keeps you in His specific will. Be a student of God's commands. This is the third step in discovering God's will. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia praying him, saying, Come over unto Macedonia and help us. And after we'd seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia, surely gathering that the Lord had called us. Central to everything that's happening here in Acts chapter 16 is the question, what is God's direction for us? And these are waiting for the confirmation of God to know His will. After all, it's the Word of God that's a lamp to our feet. It's the Word of God that's a light to our path. A few years back, I tried to convince my father of the wisdom of moving closer to us in Indianapolis. He ultimately did, but he didn't think it was God's timing when I first began to broach the question with him. I said, Dad, it would be great. You'll be close to us. We can have fellowship together. It would be wonderful. He said, give me a week or two to pray about it. A week or two later, I called my dad. and He said, no, I'm not going to make the move. <laughs> I was disappointed. This is what he said. He said, I've never moved without a passage that I can plant my feet on. 
He said, I've asked God to give me a passage that I could plant my feet on, and he hasn't given me one. He was simply practicing good biblical wisdom. The entrance to the word gives light. It gives understanding, Psalm 119 and 130. When I was a college freshman and asking the Lord what he would have me to do, I remember awakening in the night and opening God's word. And as I read God's word, I read the book of Philemon. You know why? Because it's short. I thought if I start in the book of Psalms, I'll be here all night. I got to go to a place that I can read in brief time and get back to bed. Well, that was not a very wise way to look at things, but God intervened in that time and crisis in my life. And as I read Philippian, or Philemon, rather, chapter 1, the only one chapter of the 11th verse, it speaks about the one who was in times past unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. And God began to work in my heart to realize that I had lived my life as a teenager in high school in a very unprofitable manner, but God could bring me back to the place where I could be profitable. If you open God's Word, you'll discover that God's Spirit speaks through God's Word and will lead you along the pathway. Step number four in this passage is be seeking the counsel of others. Verse 10, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Something unusual happens here in Acts 16. Now, Dr. Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, inserts himself into the narrative. This is the first time he does this. And you see that personal, plural pronoun being used. For the very first time in verse 10, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us. It seems that the apostle Paul woke up in the morning from that Macedonian dream and he spoke to the others and they said, this is God speaking. We're going to do this together. He was allowing the counsel of others to lead them along the pathway. And you'll find the same wisdom be true in your life. Proverbs 11 says in verse 4, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counsel, there's safety. Proverbs 12 and verse 15 says the same thing, except it says in another way, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. Proverbs 15 and verse 22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. Do you have people to whom you turn Wise friends to whom you turn who can give you good biblical counsel. When I was a senior in high school, far away from the Lord, kind of a shaggy kid, Dr. Comfort came alongside and he said to me, Brother Phelps, when you get your heart right, you need to go off to college and study for the ministry. You know what? Nobody ever talked to me that way. So it kind of stuck with me. In fact, he not only told me to to go to college and study for ministry, he told me what seminary I'd attend. I wasn't called of God to preach at that time, but God used that counsel. And I discovered from the time I was 17 to my present day that it's a pretty good idea for me to talk to Brother Comfort before I make big decisions in my life. And I've called him along the way, and he's been a great help to me in making those decisions. This passage is simply pointing out the wisdom of seeking others for counsel. story is told about a wealthy man who hired a golf pro to help him with his swing. Somebody was standing by and watching the golf pro work with this wealthy man, and the golf pro was saying, no, hold your hands this way. No, bring your club back this way. And I don't know anything about golf, but as the story is told, the person who was watching noted how the golf pro was telling the person how to do this and how to do that. And as the hour went along, the golf pro was saying less and less and less, and finally the lesson was over. And the person who was watching went to the golf pro, and he said to the golf pro, I noticed you kind of quit giving advice to that man by the end of the lesson. Why is that? And the golf bro said, well, I found it's a waste of time to offer answers to people who are only looking for echoes. 
There are some people who go out looking for counsel and they're really looking for an echo. You'll hear good godly counsel and then you'll keep looking until you find somebody that'll agree. Be careful, young people. When it comes to seeking God's word, seek the wise counsel of others. When you come to seeking God's will, step number five, be sure the circumstances are sovereignly arranged. In verse 11, therefore loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothrachia and the next day to Neapolis. They boarded a ship and the winds of God were behind the sails and they saw God work in wonderful ways that were undeniable. They were now going in the direction God wanted them to go and they saw the hand of God upon them in unique, unique ways. I remember years ago when I was pastoring in New England, we had prayed for a long time that the Lord would allow us to buy acreage next door to our church. There was eight acres of land there, fairly undeveloped. There were some houses and a barn, but it would have been wonderful for our needs for the future. And after a lot of time of prayer, we finally were able to buy that land. And as soon as we bought the land, we drew up a parking lot plan. We went down to City Hall and asked the city planning board to give us favor and allow us to build a parking lot. The city board turned us down. I went home and lost sleep for about four or five days. I thought, Lord, we paid $100,000 an acre for land that we can't even put a parking lot on. All we're going to do is cut grass here. We began to pray about other things and ask the Lord what we could do. We were parking people across the street and dentist offices and other properties that were not our own and crossing the street, running a shuttle van and all kinds of things. Finally, we decided we're going to build a building anyway. Even if we can't put in that parking lot, we're going to build this building because we don't have room anymore. We can't stuff any more people in here. You don't typically want to build a building without place for parking. But we said, we're going to go ahead. Let's, let's put together a design. We put the design together. The architect met with us, and then he got the civil engineer involved. The civil engineer said, well, you, you want to do something with parking. Have you thought about that? He said, oh, yeah, we thought about it, but we got turned down on this parking plan. The civil engineer said, well, let me look at it. He said, well, that's in the right spot. That would be right where we want it to be for the the building. Let me take that, that plan home with me and take a look at it. He came back the next week and he said, boy, it's a good thing you didn't build that parking lot. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the building that you're going to build has to come up on the elevation about four feet. And he said, that parking lot would be right in the way of where we're going to have to drain the water. And he said, we'd have had to tear up all that parking lot you'd have built to drop, bring that up four feet as well. Good thing you didn't build that parking lot. We went back downtown with the new plans Looked the same, that parking lot looked the same, except the elevation was changed. You know what the city father said? Sure, you can build that parking lot. God had said no to us to keep us on hold. And then when we were going in the direction that he wanted us to go, he said yes in ways that were almost miraculous. You're going to find that along the way when you're in the center of God's will, that you'll say, I couldn't have accomplished this. God did it. He put the winds behind their sails. Step number six. Be seeing that confirming work of the Spirit of God. They went to Philippi, and we know the story there. How the, when they went to Philippi, they met there at the women's prayer meeting by the river. And Lydia, the seller of purple, Thyatira, verse 14, tells us, came and worshiped, then the Lord opened her heart. Only the Lord can open hearts. It looked like a small place to meet, a small gathering of insignificant almost people who were there. And yet, the Lord is opening the hearts of those who have gathered the Lord confirms His work through circumstances sovereignly arranged. And He confirms His work by the wonderful working of the Spirit of God where people are saved and God's work is ongoing. But then we can see the final step 
in understanding God's will individually, specifically in our lives, conflicts are going to come. When we're in the center of God's will and God's blessings are being seen and souls are being saved and lives are being impacted, which is the only eternal work that we do, we read in verse 16, it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought our masters much gainsaying by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and cried, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of God. And this she did many days, and Paul was grieved. Conflict is arising. I have a son who's in ministry in a place where right now storms are brewing. Terrible storms are brewing. Incredible things are happening that I've never had to experience. I was so thankful for a phone call that I received from him just a couple of weeks ago. He said, Dad, I know it's a time in our church right now where a lot of people would tender the resignation. And he said, don't think I haven't been tempted. But he said, Dad, I look around and realize if somebody doesn't stay the course here, these people are going to be struggling even more. He said, I'm going to stay the course until the Lord leads me elsewhere, until we see this thing all smoothing out. I want to stay the course and see God's work being done. I was so thankful for my son. He's going through a tough time, but he's going through a tough time knowing when you're in the center of God's will and you can look back on the decisions being made, you can recognize, yes, there'll be struggles there, but God can confirm this is God's individual will for me. How does he confirm it? Let me just review. When we surrender as God closes doors, when we're sensitive to the concerns of others, when we're a student of God's command. When we're seeking the counsel of others, when we're sure that the circumstances are sovereignly arranged, when we're seeing the confirming work of the Spirit of God, then we can be strong when conflict arises. And we can say, I'm in the center of God's perfect individual will for me. To find God's will is life's greatest discovery. To know God's will is life's greatest knowledge. To do God's will is life's greatest achievement. In a generation that loves to do what's right in its own eyes, God gives to you, the students at Ambassador Baptist College, the wonderful responsibility of knowing that one day you'll stand to give account before the judgment seat of Christ. In that day, you want to be able to say, Jesus led me all the way. I'm in the center of God's will.